It's Blamo. I'm Jeremy Kirkland. All right, it's here. You know it. We talked about this a ton on the pod, but Western wear and Western-inspired wear has been a huge vibe lately. We got snap button shirts, we got bolo ties, we got little handkerchiefs underneath our collars, we got straight leg jeans, we got boot cut jeans, you got the little uh, western belt buckle with the little silver tip. I mean, look, it's everywhere. And the brand and designer that's really helped spark this is Peter Middleton, founder and designer of Wythe. And he's the real deal. (laughs) I will say, as an aside, a line that runs through the show, and I mean, geez, Buemo in general, is being confident. Of course, we all talk about clothes, but how can you be confident in the clothes that you like and confident in the clothes that you're wearing? Sometimes those are two very different things. So how can you dress for what is truly you? We are all different, and we can also all wear the same thing differently. And as you'll hear in this chat, Peter talks about how Wythe was kind of always there because the brand is essentially himself. His life growing up in Texas, driving a truck, which... Look, I'm starting to see the appeal, living out in the suburbs, <laughs> listening to country music. I loved this discussion because while we all love to play dress up, I think unconsciously, we all also tend to learn about ourselves in the process. All right, here's my chat with Peter Middleton of White. Peter Middleton, how are you doing? Hey, doing great. How about you? Good. Um, so wait. You're just about to start market, right? Like, I, yeah, it, it sounded yeah. like things are pretty busy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit overwhelming at the moment. Um, yeah, we'll start. I'll be showing a man woman next Wednesday. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, showing in person. Well, I showed in person in a private showroom last season, but it okay. wasn't. It was a little bit different. It was still kind of strange. So, um, yeah, back to showing in person. Uh, with Man Woman in New York, the same place that I showed my very first season. Um, so it's pretty fun to kind of have that um, full circle as well. When did you yeah. show your first season? Um, January, uh, January of 2020. Okay, so basically yeah. in just a couple of years, mm-hmm. you've gone from like an if you know, you know brand to like random people are messaging me and being like, "Hey, have you heard of Wythe? Like, I'm in, and I'm just like, dude, dude, I, I kind of know what it is. Thanks for the flex, bro. <laughs> yeah, I was at, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I, I don't think that has really sunk in yet. Um, I think it's just moments like that of, it's like, wait, like, yeah, there's some traction here and people, some people know about this. Um, I was at a bar in Brooklyn, maybe this is probably like, four or five months ago um, mm-hmm. before it was started to get cold. Um, and I saw a guy walk out uh, in one of my like Tinsel Gabardine Pearl Snap shirts. And um, I was wearing like, I was wearing some wide, obviously. And yeah, uh, I was talking to my friends and he walked up and was like, dude, nice shirt, man. And I was like, thanks. Like, appreciate it. He's like, man, I have that shirt too. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, I love it. I have like two other shirts by this brand too. I love it. It's awesome. Where'd you get it? And I was like, oh, uh, I'm the owner. I made these shirts. And he just kind of like, wait, really? Are you serious? And I was like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> um, and it was, it was, yeah, it was, we were kind of both, I feel like taking a step back. So we're both like, wait, I didn't expect this to, I didn't expect this conversation to happen at all. Right. Um, he definitely didn't expect to comment on a shirt I was wearing. and that i had designed it um but it was yeah it was a really cool moment um especially myself knowing like i know how many of those shirts have sold i know where they've sold i know a lot of information and to see just to be like oh yeah i own three of these i was like oh my gosh homie's a fan yeah (laughs) crazy um yeah it's it's been really really encouraging to kind of get those reactions too of, of like yeah i have this shirt and i Loved it so much, I wanted to buy more. Um, yeah. Well, I want to jump in and and like kind of go back to the beginning. But before we do, I do want to mm-hmm. call out the fact that like that is an interesting level of kind of like making it. I'm air quoting mm-hmm. that because mm-hmm. when you are being purchased by folks that maybe um, like don't care as much mm-hmm. about fashion or like wearing clothes to flex, yeah. you're like, oh, now I'm really onto something because there For are sure. brands and I won't name them. Um, that 
the only people I know that like them are people that are really, really into fashion. Mm -hmm. And those people want to get crazy discounts or get stuff on flow team or whatever Mm -hmm. that is. And they'll wear it on occasion. Mm -hmm. But when you turn, when like, it's like the everyday guy that starts Mm -hmm. getting into your stuff. That's like a a serious level of success that is incredibly hard to accomplish. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I feel like too. It's like when my friends are buying it and not telling me, like I just see an order come through. I'm like, wait, I know that guy. And I'll text him like, dude, is this you? And he's like, yeah. How'd you know? (laughs) Like, what do you mean? How do I know? I get all these emails. Like all of this is (laughs) tracked and sent to my email and everything. Um, Yeah. But I I agree with you. I mean, I think even then where it's like, even people that know you and could ask for a discount would rather just buy it. Was that's to me, that's I was like, man, this is awesome. Yeah. Well, let's jump to the beginning because mm-hmm. you're originally from Austin. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And what was life like in Austin? Because, like, I mean, how long did you live there before you popped up here? Um, I was born there, uh, lived there, except for like some stints in um, Colorado during the summers. I was there 23 years. Okay. So you saw Austin go from like, a couple cool kids that mm-hmm. went to UT to basically mm-hmm. like the biggest tech hub and oh yeah it's like the new New York yeah i mean yeah it's it's crazy there it's i mean really I, crazy. I used to go for south by southwest yeah. and this is 2006 7 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i'm like oh there's a lot of people on congress like this is pretty cool yeah. but it yeah. wasn't the madhouse it is now like mm-hmm. traffic is crazy you got mm-hmm. you know apple and google and all these companies yeah. that are there yeah I, I mean so what was that like because you got to see it i mean when it was like yeah cool kid yeah and i mean i think it's it's also kind of funny because i think this is probably true of anyone's hometown that's taken off because sure. of, like my parents as well my parents have been in austin since the 70s oh, so dang. i'll talk to them about it and i'm complaining about something and they're just like smiling like dude (laughs) like we yeah i mean i i never knew austin before dell was there so it's like that was kind of like oh so there is kind of some sort of tech there's yeah texas instruments is there Mm -hmm. um or at least was when i was still in like middle school or high school um making those calculators yeah exactly so it was like it was still (laughs) somewhat like a tech hub um yeah it's true but way more local and there was, st- I mean, I still complained about the traffic when I was in high school or driving to college or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's way worse now. Um, and the infrastructure as any Southern city is just like not built for anything. Um, mm-hmm. The interstate that goes from Mexico to Canada goes through Austin and it's three lanes. Oh. They're like, that's it. It's just oh wow, three lanes of <laughs> all of this traffic. And you can go, you can go on the highway. Almost That's a lot of, of indie day. rock. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, you probably drove on that when you were in South by, but oh, yeah. uh, I don't know. I mean, I also grew up. Um, I grew up in South Austin, so it was even weirder. Um, that was where kind of the people that used to live downtown then moved to South Austin. That was where all the hippies were, um, and I was I was home recently over the holidays and it was funny because i was telling my parents i was like yeah i didn't i never realized that y'all were hippies growing up because this just seemed normal but now i look back and i'm like wait y'all were way different than all of my friends parents like i'll think of stories i'm just like wait that was yeah that was different wait can you give me an example what is it so (laughs) we uh we when i was probably like 11 or 12 um we moved we were on like an acre and a half uh okay and like the back was just woods. Um, and I would just go out every single day and just like build forts and play in the woods. And that was just like my normal activity. And then when I was 11, we moved um, into more of like a neighborhood on like two acres. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents started, we built a chicken coop and got goats and got a goose and started just getting like any sort of farm animal we could besides horses. Um, and that was just, that was normal to me. So it was like, mm. my friends would be like, oh yeah, like, what are you doing? I was like, well, I have to go feed the chickens this morning. They're like, wait, do you live on a farm? And I was like, no, I don't live on a farm. No, like, dude. Yeah. I was like, no, dude, I live in a house. And they're like, well, yeah, but you have chickens and goats and a goose. And I was like, yeah, but that doesn't mean I live on a farm. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, that's like one thing. There's a lot of other stuff that. 
I don't know, even the, the music that my parents loved. And I mean, we were always listening to like a local music station. It was mm. never, we were going to see like local bands. Like my parents weren't going to see nationally touring bands. It was musicians that were big in the hill country or big in folk. And that's who they would go see. And so I would go see it with them and just kind of complain and listen to like my chemical romance or whatever on my CD player. <laughs> but um, yeah. Big contrast between folk mm-hmm. music and my chemical romance. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. And crazy. So I remember when I got my driver's license and I, this is like growing up in Texas, I hated country music. Um, just thought it was the worst thing in the world. It's like, why would well, anyone wait, listen to this? What's country music to you? Sorry, well, so, I want to make yeah, sure we discern yeah, yeah. that. <laughs> so at this point, at this point, the only country music I'd heard was like Nashville country. Um, was like the big radio station country. Um, so like Clint Black sort of stuff, not like... Uh, I mean, even that, because that was a little older. That was almost like I 90s. Right, yeah. I, yeah, I feel like for me, it was more like Toby Keith. Oh, uh, like Brad Paisley. Urban. Yeah, stuff that like maybe would be country, but would also be played on the pop station. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember getting my driver's license and my dad, we still have this track, it was in 93 up 150. Um, and so that was the truck I drove to high school with. And I loved that truck and eventually started listening to country on that truck. And it was, it like hit me. I was like, wait, I get it. This is why people listen to country. And so, wait, what is, what's the reason? I got to know. <laughs> just drive, like driving a truck, driving a truck in Texas. Truck. I, it was almost like I, I was like, wait, like, yeah, I get this. Like, I'm going, I, and feeding the chickens in the morning. I'm going to, I'm after football practice, I'm going to go fishing with a friend of mine. Like, I'm not, I'm not like living this lifestyle, but all these things you're talking about, I can relate to. And you're varsity I, blues. Yeah. I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> I didn't like, I didn't even like think these things were happening until it finally just like, dude, you were in this song. Um, and I still didn't really want to like tell anyone that I was listening to country. I remember like, People would get in my car and I would just like immediately turn on a CD. Um, but yeah, I would listen to and it and gravitated towards like the, the more pop country music station. So in Austin, there is three country stations. There's Case 101, which is like Nashville country. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby Bones is like the DJ for that. I don't know if you like know that name, but he moved from like the pop station to this country station because he was going to get paid more. Um, Got and then there's... Coached. Yeah. So there's Case 101, there's KVET, which is a little bit more like indie country, red dirt country. Um, and then there was the remake of Willie Nelson's radio stations, which is called Coke FM. And that station is amazing. Oh. So do you still and, listen to those stations now? Yeah. Like yeah. satellite radio or whatever? Uh, I've done that with Coke a few times. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But those KVET and Coke FM were like the two stations that were really pushing red dirt country really pushing kind of this like indie or even like pushing like hey we're gonna play like an old merle haggard song or we're Mm. gonna play an old johnny cash song so i think that was really where it took off i was like wait like i actually really like this music and i also don't feel embarrassed by this because it's it doesn't seem in the same vein as this like more pop country that i was maligning and my friends were like dude why would you listen to this i'm like well okay check this out like yeah this is really good because yeah i mean because like old hank williams woody mm-hmm. guthrie all sorts of mm-hmm. things like that like the country and folk where some people mm-hmm. would listen to it and say oh that's folk and other people like yeah. that to me mm-hmm. is some of the best music ever i agree like oh yeah it's so good mm-hmm. but you know the song you know my my brother-in-law who listens to country like he'll he'll be pissed at me for saying this like there was a song <laughs> and like the chorus was like uh like buy a boat get a job have a beer drive a mm-hmm. truck da, da, da. Mm-hmm. and i was like and he he's got an f-150 that's his mm-hmm. vibe he loves mm-hmm. it and yeah. some of the stuff i get it like dude especially where i live i mean everybody's got trucks there's yeah. three trucks in my driveway right now mm-hmm. while they're working on the place mm-hmm. everyone's yeah. got yeah, big yeah. trucks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but uh interesting okay do you and you're saying that you still listen to that stuff like now mm-hmm. yeah and so yeah, what i was brings actually probably to- going to a concert of like yeah, these, I don't know. Um, yeah, just more, I guess, for lack of a better term, like I call it outlaw country because that's kind of what it outlaw is in Texas. Country. Yeah. Okay. And that was like the highwaymen, like Willie Nelson, Merle. They were right, kind right. of like, we are outlaw country. And I feel like the bands, the country bands that I listen to now are more so in that vein of talking about 
drug addictions talking about and not mm. in like a not in like a oh man like i was addicted to drugs and then i went to church and i was saved it's more of like i'm still going through this like this oh, is sure. really hard and more and more of like this vein of like oh, we're we're almost going to use these blues and more emotional like very intense subject matter but we're going to write country songs about it which is hank williams which is like yeah really yeah. these other musicians that really started the genre um yeah dang so you are driving a truck, mm -hmm. uh, secretly listening to country, mm -hmm. kind of figuring out your parents are hippies. Mm -hmm. And when does clothes and coming to New York come in? Uh, man, it's a, it's like a, it's an interesting saga. As I, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up. I grew up with an appreciation for clothes, but not really. I didn't really have any resources. Um, my parents don't care about clothes. Most of what they wore were panties, basically, for like lack of a better term. Like they're the bands that they loved, they would just wear the t shirt. Um, right. And we would go to thrift stores, and that's where I would go, like back to school shopping. It's like we'd go to the thrift store. So I was always kind of in thrift stores looking at stuff with my mom, trying to pick out like what I think is cool, what I think is interesting. Um, but I never had a grasp of like what brands were out there. I remember mm. getting like a J. Crew catalog and being like, dude, this is crazy. Like I've <laughs> never seen like this before. Um, and this was like in like early high school. But I just remember being like, oh my gosh. Like, why is and, everyone obsessed with boats? I don't understand. Yeah. And I was like, this, there's like something cool about this. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily appeal to me, but like there's this is cool. I've never seen this before. Um, yeah, but I think I think it, it started definitely started with sneakers. Um, I think when I was in high school. That's when like Nice Kicks was coming out, like High Snob was getting big, High Beast was also just out launched. Of Texas, I yeah. think. Yeah, 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 Matt. Um, so it and a few of my friends were also into sneakers, so that was kind of what it started. Was like, all right, I'm, I know every single Jordan that is releasing this year. I know every Nike like Quickstrike oh, release. Whoa. Okay, um, and That's I didn't like stuff. have any money to like buy these things, but I was just like, I wanted to know what was happening, what was coming out. And then I feel like from a lot of the pictures that people were showing of their sneakers, it also moved into clothes too. It was like, oh, these are the salvage jeans I'm wearing with like these like LeBron eights or whatever. Mm. Um, and then I feel like it started getting to that point. Um, Cause, and there was always a big contrast between the clothes I was wearing and the shoes I was wearing. I couldn't really figure it out. Cause I was, I had like, this is in high school and I was, I had probably like five or six pairs of Jordans and like love the shoes. Rarely ever wore them. Um, cause the clothes I was wearing was like Levi's 501s and I'd try and wear like a cashmere cardigan from like J. Crew or like. You're a little ahead of your time right there. Well, <laughs> so but I was, like, I was just like, yeah, I was like, the clothes I want to wear, which is maybe more J. Crew, like a little bit, like trying to figure out a preppy in Texas and not look like a frat boy. Um, mm. did you go to school sure. in texas i did yeah yeah okay mm -hmm. so was that what everyone was was wearing around uh, that time or is this still high school for you this is still high school um okay no i feel like people i mean people in texas it's like it's hot so you're just wearing t-shirts all the time um you're just wearing a t-shirt and you would just wear a graphic tee every single day um where it was either like an abercrombie or hollister or volcom or that volcom. i feel like that was like how you identified like what click you're in it's like by yeah. the graphic like by the brands you're wearing so it's like i was friends with all the skaters and i had a skateboard didn't really skate much but i would go out with them um so it was like i was wearing like volcom and quicksilver and like lakai and uh tbs oh, and like things like that like i was like okay. really trying to go for it um also sometimes wearing skate shoes sometimes <laughs> wearing jordans and then sometimes wearing like a cardigan just really trying to figure out like what i wanted and where i fit and like what clothes were comfortable to me um and i think that was a lot of college too but yeah i think that was probably when it's when me trying to figure out what clothes i loved really started was like in high school isn't that crazy mm -hmm. like I, for so many people their journey with clothes is parallel to their identity like they're mm -hmm. just like who am i mm -hmm. does this shirt make me this or yeah. i want to be this person therefore i'm going to do that i mean it's mm -hmm. it's everyone yeah 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think that makes the most sense to me. And I think that's like what I try and tell guys and girls with why too is like, hey, this shirt isn't going to make you into this. This shirt isn't going to change your lifestyle. But if this shirt allows you to feel more of yourself or feel better in some way or feel more comfortable, like that's a good reason to buy it. Mm-hmm. It's not like I think I've obviously it's like I've shot um, this Lex lookbook in Montana with like a real cowboy and his wife. And, <laughs> yeah, it, it's and insane. it was like, no, these these clothes are not going to make you a cowboy. These clothes are not like I'm not selling these in Western wear stores. <laughs> This is just like my friend who is a cowboy wearing these clothes, looking amazing in it. And that like can tell a story and that can kind of tell like a story of where I'm coming from, where he's coming from and how he and I are relating through these clothes. I'm not like wearing these clothes is not going to turn you in a cowboy. That's not going to happen. Just as wearing skate clothes is not going to turn you in a skateboarder. That's not going to happen either. Or Dickies is not going to turn you into like a general contractor. Like none of these <laughs> things are happening. It's just like, do the clothes you wear allow you to feel more of yourself? That's important. Oh man, that's kind of spiritual. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, I yeah. think that's that's it's also almost it's not what many brands would do these mm-hmm. days because also the goal is to get you to get everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. like for me Tom Brown's one of the best examples. You don't really see someone who is like, "Oh, I have a Tom Brown shirt and then I, you know, do these other things." Right. Most of the time, the Tom Brown look is head to toe. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, it probably looks best head to toe. Agreed. And it's it's kind of tough to be a brand that's like, you can just get one thing. And P.S., mm-hmm. take this and let it add on to you versus, you know, you sort of basically end up mm-hmm. subscribing to us and lose who you are in the process. Yeah. I mean, I think that last line you said is super important. Like, I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, you see that with the Rick Owens too. I feel like a lot of those brands like, yeah, it looks amazing head to toe. And that's why it looks so great on the runway. That's why it looks so great in all of these, like on the internet, but that's not the reality. And yeah, I mean, if you, yeah, if you have a Tom Brown outfit, that's great. Like, but that's not allowing you if, and if that allows you to feel more of yourself, that's great. Like there's nothing said against that, but yeah, if you are, and I get that some people also want to have different outfits for different feelings and maybe a a different outfit allows you to feel something different and that's totally valid too but i think for most guys we're not looking to feel different we're looking to feel more of ourselves, or we're looking to feel connected to maybe this past history like i i think there's i have customers like man like that shirt looks like what my grandpa wore and they don't mean it as like a dude this looks old it's like dude i love this shirt my grandpa made and this reminds me of that. I want to buy that because I want to be connected to that memory. Um, and I think Nostalgia that's... Nostalgia wear. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a super important and valid um, way of looking at clothes. And I think designing clothes too. Um, and I think that is mo- maybe more so specific to menswear. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if maybe women shop in the same way that we do. Um, but Yeah, yeah I'm... I feel like at least with menswear, the 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 range of menswear mm-hmm. is significantly smaller mm-hmm. than women's um, mm-hmm. as like button downs or button downs everywhere, you know, yep. and knitwear, et cetera, et cetera. Versus mm-hmm. with women's, I mean, couture aspect and everything else, you know, yeah. insane textile design and all mm-hmm. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's for sure. So you're figuring out your identity and mm-hmm. what what. What brings you to New York and is wife before New York or is New York before wife? No, New York is before wife. Um, so I, yeah, I was in the sneakers um, and head, head toyed around. I was also, man, maybe I want to be an architect. Maybe I want to be an engineer. Maybe I want to be a, des- I know I want to design something. I know that that's mm-hmm. what I want to do. Um, but at the same time, this doesn't really seem like it's going to make any money at all. Um, <laughs> and none of this is like from my parents. My parents were never pressuring me to get a good job or go to even go to college they were just like hey we want you to do what you want to do and we want to support you that's great and how we can um but you're gonna have to make these decisions um and so i ended up deciding that i wanted to be an engineer um went to texas for that university of texas um and pretty quickly realized engineering was not what i thought it was um and it was what not, type of engineer 
uh, mechanical and then moved to civil. Holy shit. Okay. Realized, that's real stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, this is not designing houses. This is not like, <laughs> this is not what I thought it was. Um, and it's like, well, like I could go to architecture, um, but Texas has like one of the best architecture programs in the nation. Um, so it's, you can't really transfer in. They take like two transfers a year. Um, oh. So I was like, okay, well, this isn't going to work for my undergrad. Um, and I'm not doing engineering. Um, but what about this thing? What about this fashion thing that I know I've always loved and that I know I've always like really wanted to do, but never felt like it, I could give it a shot. Or I think it always felt, um, maybe too big almost. Whereas engineering, it's like, all right, I'll be an engineer. I'll get a job at a firm and I'll start out making 60, 80 K. I can buy my dad a car. I can do all these things I've always wanted to do. And life will be simple and it'll be pretty chill and, and nothing, nothing will really be difficult or crazy. Whereas fashion seemed, okay, I spend four years doing this. Even if I'm really good and I move to New York and get a job, I'm making like 30K a year for five years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm just scraping by. And that, I think that part of it always seemed really scary to me. Um, I think especially growing up in the South and being a man and being told like, dude, you're going to have a family. You got to provide for them. You got to do all these things. Oh, yeah. And, uh-huh. and fashion never seemed like something that offered that at all. Um, but I think it's, yeah, at this point I was like, well, like, okay, I can do fashion for my undergrad. I don't have to commit to it. Um, but I do have to do something and then I can go to architecture school. Um, and yeah, so literally like <laughs> talk to my advisor, drop. I was literally, I'm like in the middle of differential equations, like had already done the calculus sequence. It was in differential equations and all my physics classes. And I'm like, um, no, I'm just going to drop. Because <laughs> uh, it's like those things are, those don't count as electives. Like those are not anything that transfers to Oof. fashion at all. So I was like, well, like whatever. Um, so I basically just like, dropped all my classes except for one i was taking like an english two class that semester um and just started working at nordstrom i was like well i need a job and so i started working at nordstrom um over the holidays and that was like the first time also that i had money so i was like oh well i've always wanted this double rl shirt i've always wanted these like imogen really selvage jeans and now i can buy it um so i think that really started too where i was like i'm around clothes all the time i'm selling clothes I'm talking to guys that have never heard of Billy Reed, why they should buy this Billy Reed shirt. Cause I love Billy Reed and I can tell you the story. Um, and I can tell you the story of like Jack Spade. I can tell you the story of these jeans. Like, um, I think that was where I started just realizing like, wait, I'm different than all of these people. Oh. Like all of these people on my floor are like, dude, why do you know so much about these clothes? And I was like, what do you mean? Like, this is my <laughs> job. I love this stuff. They're like, yeah, all right. Uh, actually, why don't you know so yeah, much? About uh, yeah, literally, I was kind of just like, dude, why are you asking me that question? I should be asking <laughs> you that question. Um, yeah, but in then the next semester, um, just my first fashion classes, it was like so clear. I love this. Like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Even if it's scary, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't seem financially stable, like, this is what I want to do and I will work as hard as I need to, to make this happen. Um, yeah. So that was, that was probably like year one and a half years into college, um, switched into fashion and then had to take an extra year to finish everything. Uh, but yeah, I was in fashion for the next three and a half years and, um, loved it. It was incredible. And it was absolutely like, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is what I meant to do. Um, I don't know what that means, but I know I'm in the right place. Right. And um, so that brings you yeah. to New York, I assume, because now you have like formal training for this. Yeah. Um, and I think another part about me is that I don't want to do any, anything that anyone else has done. Um, which I think is maybe true of a lot of designers or a lot of people in New York in general, but yeah, all my classmates were getting internships in New York and I was like, dude, I don't want to do that. That seems <laughs> dumb. Um, I remember I ended up interning with, uh, Faraday in New York and I remember 
um, meeting them at Stag, meeting both the brothers at Stag at a pop-up, asking them about an internship. And Alex emailed me. He's like, yeah, like, yeah, it's it's in New York City. Is that cool? <laughs> I remember emailing him, no, I don't want to move to New York. <laughs> oh, my God. That's what he is. I never got an email back. And I, I like, laughed so hard about that. I'm like, I was the biggest dumbass in the world. Like, just being like, no, dude, I don't want to do that. That's all right. I think it's good yeah. to at least have convictions on what mm-hmm. you want versus mm-hmm. just wandering aimlessly. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree. But they got you anyway because you go to New York, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the next year, I came back and I talked to them again and did the whole thing again. Um, yeah, and at that point, I was like, "Yeah, this is it." Like, I I tried to get internships or jobs in Austin. Nothing was happening. Um, didn't want to do LA. So it's like, all right. Let's let's do New York. Let's go for it. Um, yeah, and it was amazing, and it was uh, kind of everything that I wanted it to be. And I learned so much in the internship, um, and then eventually moved back to Austin for like three weeks. Um, hated it. Knew that I needed to be back in New York, even if I didn't have a job, even if I didn't have a place to stay, even if I didn't have any of these things I thought I needed to have. Um, I knew I needed to be back, and so moved back to New York. Um, interviewed with Ralph Lauren. Um, for a job I didn't know existed, I didn't know that you could develop textiles for a company. I just thought mm. that you were a designer and that was it. Um, interviewed with Ralph Lauren uh, and then ended up getting a job. And uh, and that was four, four and a half years of working in luxury, developing fabrics um, and doing a little bit with leather, not much. Um, but yeah, developing fabrics with them um, and really learning from that company and from ralph himself of like i think i was in a very very unique and beautiful part of ralph lauren where the man was he's involved in every single part but um this specific part that i was in he was meeting with us like usually two times a week sometimes three times a week um before fashion weeks we would be with him for almost the whole week um Mm. and the teams weren't very big so even though I didn't really have a reason to be in the room, I was still was able to kind of like weasel my way into the room and just kind of stand in a back corner and just kind of watch what he was doing and listen to what he was saying and um, trying to learn as much as I could from decisions that he was making and Buffy Biratella and um, sometimes his brother Jerry would be down and just I mean, those are to- all the OGs. Buffy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Buffy, Jerry, Ralph, yeah. Jimmy yeah. G's, Louise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was... I mean, slowly moved around there and slowly got a little bit more FaceTime with him and got a little bit more like, yeah, just tried to learn as much as I possibly could and tried to ask everyone else at the company what they were doing and how they got there and what they liked about it. And yeah, I mean, really just tried to learn as much as I possibly could when I was at that company. Um, what was yeah. the biggest takeaway from that? Like if someone said, oh, mm. I worked at Ralph and it taught me this, what would mm. you say? Um, I think Ralph taught me how to tell a story. I think that was mm-hmm. always the most important thing to him is um, you start a season and figure out what you're inspired by and you find the hero or the heroine and then you build it from there and you decide like, who is this person? What do they wear? What do they mm. need? Um, who are they? And that is how he would always build his collections. Um, and I think that is why his brand looks so different than any other brand. Um, and why you walk into a store, you walk into a showroom and it, you get it. And it's clear of, oh, wow, like this is what they're trying to say. Um, and I, that's what I always want to do with Y2 is I want to tell a story. I want, I think that's why the lookbooks look the way they do is. I want you to feel like you're a part of something and I want you to feel like um, yeah, you are learning something, experiencing someone else's life and also experiencing your own life through that. There is some serious like spirituality through here that I'm kind of <laughs> sensing. And I, I'm yeah. just curious where some yeah. of this, I mean, it's, you know, comes yeah. from. Uh, it would probably be because yeah, I say I'm a spiritual person. I am a Christian. I think that's a incredibly important part of my life. And um, yeah, it's also encouraging to hear you say that because I think I question a whole lot of, man, okay, this is also part of me that's so important. 
And it seems somewhat separate from this business. It's also really important to me. Um, but I think it's also me from the inside looking at it and seeing these different parts of me. But yeah, I mean, I, it would make sense that all of these things are connected and that all yeah. of these things are in a way influence each other. And that my journey with Christianity and journey and spirituality would influence my way of designing and um, vice versa. But it doesn't sound like it's heavy handed because I, I actually, mm. as someone who also would, you know, I would consider myself religious. I mm. also like the C word is, mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. like pretty pejorative now. Yeah, like it, it's, it's divisive. It's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it's a, it's a tough thing to be labeled as. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I just tell everyone like, well, look, like I am still trying to figure out what the F that I'm doing with my life. And yeah. All sure. I know is that like one side is chaos and mm-hmm. then the another side, at least for me, and I'm not proselytizing in any way, but just mm-hmm. like, I feel like I'm a little bit more in control when I'm trying to mm. be at one with like a spiritual life. Yeah, and I know that's I like agree. so effing tacky to say, but like that's, if there's no yeah. guide as to what I'm trying to do, I would turn into this materialistic he- mm-hmm. form of hedonism that mm-hmm. would do nothing but make me like despise anyone and everyone who doesn't mm-hmm. you know like who, who where i don't have enough of or i'd look down you know it's it's mm-hmm. so effing toxic and at least mm-hmm. for me the first few years of my life in new york um i was that dude mm. like i was a little shit and you know 19 years old walking around new york thinking that I had to find some way to set myself apart mm. from the people that I didn't like so much mm. who treated me like shit when I was in high school here. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you know, not to get too uh, personal on all this stuff, but like that's in my mind, especially after living in New York for so long, where it's mm-hmm. like you do anything you can mm-hmm. to get ahead of someone, even if that means stabbing them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this is not. And it's not like what, just like a bad thing. It's like, no, this is just what everyone does. Like, this is yeah, what the city is. You got your social Darwinism, like it's happening there. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. Yeah. I totally Uh, agree. Yeah. But it's anyway, I mean, it's just kind of, um, yeah, it's just kind of, kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, So aside from that, Mm -hmm. so Ralph teaches you how to tell a story Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're surrounded by all those people there. And it's, it's not an uncommon story that i've heard from people who have worked at ralph warren for a long time it to where mm-hmm. it's like this almost master's program or informal mm-hmm. phd yeah. in merchandising and storytelling and mm-hmm. product mm-hmm. when do you decide to start wife because a lot of people you kind of like just graduate from there right yeah and yeah and i think it's like that's the simplified version of it um sure <laughs> it never I, well maybe it works that way for some people if they have like enough money but i think for most people it's I was talking to a friend last night and he's kind of in the same position where he's working for a company and wants to do his own thing. And it's like, dude, how do I do this? Like, it seems like there's such a huge like chasm of you're working mm. for this company and you're getting paid and you have benefits and you, everything's secure. And maybe like, you don't really like your job, but everything is look, looks good on paper. And then you have your own brand and what is in the middle. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and like, for me, that was Oxford's. That was the first product I made. Um, That's right. Yeah. And yeah, that was the first product I made. I, and it didn't even, I didn't even, I knew I wanted to start a brand. Um, but I thought, I remember when I was at Faraday, a friend texted me and he had an idea. It was like, dude, we should do this. And I was like, it, it sounds great. I'm 23. I don't know. Like, I don't feel ready for that. I don't feel ready mm. to start a brand. And he was like, all right, well, when do you think you're ready? I was like, oh, like, how about like 10 years? And he goes, how about five? And I was like, no, no, I said 10. <laughs> like, I'm not doing five. Um, yeah, but and I like remember that. And I'll tell you more about that later on. But yeah, so I was talking to a friend um, at Ralph. And she is very good friends with Brandon, Brandon of Noah. And uh, a lot of the, she knows James and a lot of these other people. And she was saying, you know, all these people that I knew, they always had a side hustle. They always had something they were working on aside from work. And that mm. was what was in a way fulfilling them in a lot of ways. I was like, man, like I don't have that. And I feel a hole left to be. And I think maybe that would be something. And I was just thinking, I was like, you know what? Like, I don't, there's not really an Oxford out there that I love. Um, all the ones I love are vintage. Right. Uh, all the ones I love are 
Like, and no one really makes them like these anymore. And if they are, they're $300 or you have to make them custom or like all of these other things. And they're not the same shirt. It's just not the same shirt. Um, right. And I was like, well, like I could probably figure this out. And I would at least buy 10. And I'm assuming that a lot of my friends would probably buy one or two. I could probably sell like 40 or 50. Um, and so was meeting with um, just kind of like doing fabric research and trying to figure it out. Um, and then ended up finding a factory, finding the fabric, um, making a sample. And I was like, well, and was talking to my friends and, and their minimums, the factory's minimums were a lot higher than 50. And so I was like, well, shit, like, okay, so I can't do 50. Um, I have to do a hundred or 150. That's a lot. And so I remember talking to my friends and I was like, Hey guys, like, I want to do this. I don't really know how. Um, and they're like, well, you should do a Kickstarter. And I was like, dude, I don't want to do a Kickstarter. Like that sounds like Mm -hmm. the worst idea in the world. And they're like, yeah, I know, but it's better than not doing anything. Wait, did you do a Kickstarter? Yeah, I did a Kickstarter for it. Yeah. Get mm-hmm. out of town. Right. Yeah. I don't like to I don't like saying that, but <laughs> that is how it happened. Um, well, I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> yeah. And and that it and it turned out to be the absolute best way to do it. Where it was like it was already it was built into creating momentum. And I also got to learn how to create a story. Because that's almost the whole thing about Kickstarter is like tell your story and that's why people are gonna buy in. And if you the, just talk about the product, people may not really care. But if you talk about this is the gap I'm seeing, this is why I'm making it, this is why it's so special, and this is why you should buy in, that's what Kickstarter is about. And so I think that helped me so much as well. Um, okay, so the thing about Kickstarter, though, is mm-hmm. I feel like the majority of the people that have sold clothing on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. they it's done with such like a Silicon Valley mindset where oh, it's like, yeah. You need a shirt that doesn't get your armpits dirty when you work mm-hmm, out. Don't you wish mm-hmm. you could lift weights in an Oxford? And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, but they still sell like 200. They right? still and like the blow crazy. it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah, I was looking at all of these, yeah, all these different Kickstarters and it's exactly like that. You're like, this is a board game that's shaped like a cat. You've never seen this before. And it's like, yeah, why would I have seen that before? Who can't, like. And they're like, we, well, we hit our flex goal of $200,000 and now we're going up to 500000 It's like, this is insane. But I think oh, yeah. it also, I think Kickstarter is an amazing place because it shows you how small your view of like consumers are where it's like, oh, wait, yeah, this is like hyper-specific menswear. Even if you're selling like 150 shirts, right? that is still hyper, hyper-specific compared to what people are actually buying in like quantities of like 10,000s and 100,000s. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was a great way to start it and ended up selling way more than I ever thought I would. Um, and yeah, got to do my first production run and um, mailed every single one of those from my apartment and got to experience why I wanted to hire a warehouse and all these <laughs> other things. Yeah, and I realized that I never wanted to do that. And <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. So then, Wythe goes like little bit incremental at a time. And I remember exactly yeah. you caught fire. I mean, because people were into the Oxford. I remember a lot mm-hmm. of folks were like, "This is a dope mm-hmm. Oxford." Mm-hmm. But then that Western shirt, mm-hmm. specifically the moleskin Western shirt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's when like you know Lawrence was into it. But then. Mm-hmm. Other people I knew who had no idea who Lawrence was were mm. into it. I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is a serious brand all of a sudden. Yeah, that was the craziest thing to me as well. I mean, I um, actually, yeah, had a call with him. We're going to work on something with Mr. Porter, which, and like Lawrence had that up, um, which is insane. But that was, yeah, I mean, I've made basically from the Oxfords, I was like, well, I have a, more money than I've ever had, but it's not that much. Um, mm-hmm. So I could either like pocket this and just make more Oxfords um, or I could like finally do this thing that I've always wanted to do and I'll probably need more money and right. I have no idea what's going to happen. But at the same time, I have this money. I'm not going to do anything with it anyways. So I might as well just go for it. Um, and that was that line that I showed at Man in January of 2020 is the first line and did those Moleskine Oxfords and um, ended up. Yeah, No Man Walks Alone was uh, my first customer. And then Huckberry also bought in. 
Um, well, those are very different. I mean, Greg yeah. Lelouch oh, yeah. knows every hot brand before mm-hmm, they pop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Huckberry is like, I don't know. I don't even know what Huckberry is. I'm like, do you guys sell yeah. cups and shoes yeah. at the same they time? Do. They do. <laughs> they sell all the things at the same time. And they sell way more than you think you could ever sell of those things. Oh, and they do a so great crazy. job at it. Yeah, they, it is a very uh, incredible business. I, mm-hmm. I give mm-hmm. a lot of credit to Huckberry. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And all of these things happened very differently where I remember being a man woman and I was in like, I obviously had like a small booth and I was just way in a corner. Um, and I remember seeing, I, I don't think I've told Greg this story. Um, but I remember seeing, I, cause I'd emailed them beforehand and I remember seeing them, um, him, Kyle, and then probably Kinshawn was there. I'm not super sure. And then seeing them walk through and recognizing Greg and waving, and he's never met me before. He has no idea who I am. And then just walking right by and keep on going. And I was like, oh, no. I just um, got iced. Yeah. I was like, shit. Um, and that happened a lot. It was that happened like a lot that show. Um, but the one thing Huckberry is one of uh, my friends could, sent my stuff to a dude who bought gear at Huckberry. And he happened to be at the show. And he came by, said hi, loved the stuff. And he was like, all right, I can't buy any of this stuff because I'm buying gear, but I'll tell the apparel buyers to come by. And I was like, sick. Okay, that'd be awesome. And nothing happens the rest of the day. And I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> um, he comes by with the associate apparel buyer the next morning. That guy also does the same thing of like, dude, this is awesome. I can't buy this. I have to bring buyer, head buyer. And I was like, okay. And I've been through this before. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) okay, like, I hope that happens, but I don't know. I have no control over this. Um, Nothing happens the rest of the day. And then the next morning is when the whole team comes by and uh, she's looking at the whole collection and is like picking some stuff. It's like, oh, this is nice. This is nice. And he's showing her the Shetlands and then the sweatshirts. And he's like, I love these pieces. And I remember her, the head buyer going, we already have a whole lot of sweatshirts and sweaters just like deadpan. And I've been like, cause at this point it's really cool. Cause I'm not even selling the collection. He is selling the collection to his boss. Cause he's already seen everything. Oh, wow. right, um, and right. I'm like, that's a cool spot to be in. Um, but at the same time I hear it. And I'm like, Oh shit. Um, I have no <laughs> idea what's going to happen. Um, they leave and they and she is like, Hey, this looks really great. Like when do you need orders by? And I was like, dude, I don't care. Whenever y'all send it, I'll make it happen. Um, not knowing that COVID was about to explode everything. Oh no. Um, and so she leaves and it, and then I ended up like emailing Greg and they were like, Oh yeah, for sure. Bring the collection in. Like, and so I bring the collection into offices, show them everything. Um, and they were super excited about it and they placed an order like very shortly after. And it was like, okay, like I can do this. People are excited about this. Um, and it ended up taking a while to get the Huckberry order. But even that I was like, Oh, whoa, people are really excited about this. Um, so it was enough money to kind of put everything into production, um, get everything going. And then I shot a lookbook in Texas um, with some friends. And then that was the first lookbook I did. And that was what I sent to Lawrence and James. And they it was just through email. And they both responded like really positively, like, dude, this is awesome. We love this. When is this coming out? Um, and that's when uh, Lawrence was like, looked at the Instagram and then pulled a picture and posted on how to talk to girls at parties to uh, on Instagram. And it was crazy. I was like, dude, I've read your, I've read like every single post of your blog and your Tumblr. I know who all these people are. Um, and now I'm getting to talk to them and they're excited about a brand I'm building. Um, yeah. And that was really when it seemed like it kind of caught. And then, uh, Michael Williams was talking about it. And then I'm, and those I, are two then, very different, but very mm-hmm, big audiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, I got an email from an editor at Wall Street Journal that was like, hey, we really like the shirt. Jacob? Um, uh, no, it wasn't Jacob. It was Sarah, who I think is one of his assistants or assistant with fashion. Gotcha. Um, but he ended up doing the initial interview um, with me for the Wall Street Journal. But yeah, that was how I got connected. And I was like, what? Like, you want to put like this shirt in the gift guide? And I'm wow. like, already sold out of this shirt. And they're like, wait, you're sold out. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but I can get more. I can get more. I can get more. I promise. <laughs> I didn't say um, that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, I, I mean, I have like three. I can get more. I promise. Um, and I was like, how many shirts do you think are going to sell? And she was like, uh, we don't really know. Like, we don't really like ask that information from the people and they don't really share it to us. And I was like, so like 100, 200. And she was like, 
I don't know. And like, yeah, I will say nothing moves. So a lot of like public magazines, mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, from friends who have been and all of them at different times and mm-hmm. simultaneously, and et cetera, mm-hmm. nothing moves the needle like a Wall Street Journal plug, mm-hmm. like in terms of actual product sales, mm-hmm. right? Some things will move the needle for the optics of the brand, yeah. right? but like a Wall Street Journal plug is the golden goose and it mm-hmm. just keeps, I don't know why, it's just like that everyone that reads it. Mm-hmm. actually buys what they do. I mean, GQ will plug stuff, mm-hmm. but at the same time, the journal the journal moves the needle. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. And so I, yeah, ended up placing a reorder and was going to, ha- and like, placed a reorder and like had everything kind of set. Um, and they ran the piece. And I remember just waking up and looking at my phone and being like, oh my God, it went live. And I don't even have to like ask because I'm seeing all these orders coming in because I had set up like a pre-order. I was like, hey, I don't have these right now, but you smart, order now very smart. and like, yeah, I can ship it to you for Christmas. And even within like the first day, I'd sold out of like all of the initial stock I'd bought, even for that pre-order. So even from them, I was like, talk to the mill. I was like, hey, I need more fabric. I need it as soon as you possibly can deliver it and talk to the factory and be like, there's going to be more orders. I need this fast, like as fast as you can. Um, yeah. And it was, yeah, it was a whirlwind. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I'm so, so, so grateful that they gave me that opportunity. Um, and it was a wild roller coaster of like trying to wrangle all that production and trying to communicate to customers of like delays during COVID, which I feel like every single brand has had to do some better than others. But yeah, I mean, that was the rest of my life for like six months is, trying to wrangle a thousand shirts getting made at a factory in Portugal, then getting flown to New York to get dyed in Long Island City and then go to a oh, warehouse geez. and get pressed and steamed and ironed out and then packaged and getting sent to customers that had already paid for it. Um, and yeah, it was crazy and it was a lot to do. And I'm really glad that that is over. Um, <laughs> but it was, that was also like what allowed the brand to be where it is now. Um, and yeah. and so you do this thing recently in Montana, mm-hmm. and now what's your team like? Is it still just you? Yeah, it's just me. Um, there's oh my god, a friend a friend of mine is like helping out with the Instagram DMs and emails and like posting on Instagram because um, that's not my forte at all. Uh, but yeah, everything else is just me. How are you for better or for worse? It's just yeah, I was going to say, how are you going to maintain this? This is, uh, you have a ton of momentum here. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of, I think a lot's going to change this year. And uh, yeah, definitely looking to hire one or two people this year to kind of handle the things that I'm not good at um, mm-hmm. and trying to streamline things as best that they can. Um, yeah. Trying to help out a whole lot with wholesales and invoicing and all of these other things and figuring out do we have enough money right now how much money you're going to need how do we get it like all of these things are things that i'm not good at at all um yeah and i've been able to do it so far um but yeah there definitely will get to a point where it's too much um so yeah hopefully the team will expand this year and yeah That's and huge. say hopefully but yeah it will expand this year you have said that like wife is basically a new americana mm-hmm. you have yeah everyone into Yellowstone all of a sudden <laughs> and you have people like wanting to dress like a cowboy. Yeah. How, how is this like, what is your take on all this? Cause I know like people are like mm-hmm. going nuts wanting to dress like Kevin Costner and I've only seen yeah. like two episodes of Yellowstone. I mean, mm-hmm. it's cool, but mm-hmm. 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 is this a Mad Men thing we're going to see? Like, what do you think? Maybe. I mean, it, it definitely, it definitely seems like it has been rolling for a while now. I mean, even from like, uh, the Lil Nas X like remix songs of like I feel like oh, that right. was it. I think it's this like move towards Americana, move towards Western wear, is has been rolling for a while, and I think it's just building and building and building and building and building. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I I think it makes a lot of sense. I think, um, and this was maybe like a year ago or no earlier this year. Um, Wall Street Journal did a story kind of on what you're talking about of like this new rise of Western wear and like yeah, different Derek people's done yeah. stuff too for it. Yeah, oh yeah. 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 Um, 
So I think there's been a lot of people that have been like, wait, there is this weird movement here. Um, and what yeah. is this about? And I think a lot of it is that, I mean, kind of like what we were talking about earlier is that guys are, and girls, um, are trying to, I think, like figure out a connection to something that maybe they haven't really been open to connecting to before. And I think mm. um, kind of the story of the cowboy, the story of Americana, the story of like the West is super complicated um, and has been whitewashed and has a lot of things that people aren't talking about that were really bad. Um, and But at the same time, it's also, I think, part of the American identity. And it's mm-hmm. a part of kind of who we are as people and the values that we kind of hold as a country. And I think that the independence, um, this kind of self-sufficiency, the like thirst for adventure, a lot of the things that are represented by the cowboy and represented by the West and um, everything that's in the show, everything that's in this music. um, I think people are trying to connect to that. And I think a lot of that, well, part of that happens through clothes. Um, I think that's how any movement happens is, when Mad Men, it was like, oh, are we connecting to the 60s? Are we connecting to kind of this dressing up and having these nice cocktails? And it was a lifestyle, but part of that lifestyle is the clothes. Um, and I think yeah. that is yeah, maybe, the most, right. maybe the most visible part to us, too, is that like, it's expensive to go buy a horse. It's not like available <laughs> for many people. Um, but you can buy can't a, get a truck. You can get a truck. But even easier is like getting a Pearl Snap shirt and just and almost like and seeing and and like seeing how that feels. I think that's that's the biggest thing is like you see like can't how how can I connect to this part of maybe history or my country or like a lot of these other things. And part of it is like, oh, I can maybe I can buy something that these people wear and I can try and connect that way and I, I can just try it out. And if it feels good then I can keep on going down that path. But if it feels weird, it feels hokey, it feels corny. I just bought a shirt. It's not a big deal. I didn't buy well, a truck. I didn't buy a horse. <laughs> I didn't like do like, yeah. yeah. Uh, a buddy of mine was telling me who is not a fashion guy, but he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's a writer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Western wear is really cool because, because he was starting to get into it. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's getting pearl snap shirts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I like it because it's the easiest thing to mix with every other piece of clothing I have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, I agree. I never thought of it like that. Mm-hmm. But when you think about a Western shirt with mm-hmm. a tweed jacket, or yeah. a Western shirt with, you know, you can do the mm-hmm. Italian cool guy, you can do mm-hmm. military wear, you can do all, yeah. I mean, it fits in everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. I mean, that's like how Ralph dresses, like bingo. Yep. You know, that's, I mean, I feel like in a way that's almost the archetype of like, yeah, he is the, like, he's a lot of the reason why people are wearing, Western wear with suits and with tailoring and with streetwear and all these other things too. And I agree with you. It is abs. It's cause it's interesting and everything is functional. It's there's, mm. there is like interesting details, but the details are functional. And I think that, yeah. And I think for men too, it's like, you would never, you would never, well, I can't say you would never, but it is likely that you would never buy pants with fake back pockets. Like I've never heard of a guy doing that. Um, and so for Western wear, it's like, there's all these interesting details, but they're all functional. So it doesn't seem esoteric. It doesn't seem affected. It's like, no, like there's this like fancy yoke on the back, but that like protects the shoulders. And that's like an extra layer that like prevents this from stretching out. And it's like all of these in the, like the Pearl Stamps. I mean, even when we were on, on the shoot, I was asking, uh, I was asking John, like, what, so what shirts do you like better? You like these ones with buttons? You like the Pearl Stamp? And he's like, well, like, Honestly, I like the Pearl Snap because when I'm riding and I only have one hand, I can still open the pocket. I can still undo this stuff. I don't have to worry about it, like, getting caught on a branch. Yeah, if, you're right. And, and I was like, wait, like, yeah, I never thought about that. But that 100% makes a lot of sense where it's, it's super functional. That's a really, really good point. When I, mm-hmm. Not really something I thought mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Well, here, we're starting to wrap up. I want to I go through a few different questions mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, these are this is a series of random questions so (laughs) answer off the top of the dome whatever works okay if you were making a youtube how-to video what Mm -hmm. would the subject be Ooh, um probably how to make biscuits buttermilk biscuits biscuits. yeah yeah is that a thing for you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Oh damn. You're, are you a baker all of a sudden? I I don't think or I'm is a this baker. Like, how long have you been baked? Oh, uh, biscuits is I, a I, yeah. It's but a rare I think art. I think again I think it's yeah. I mean I just kind of realized this. Um, I was doing it, not really realizing it, but again it's an attempt to connect to authenticity and con- an attempt to connect to like my past history and the history of kind of the South and these people in America, Americana is like this specific type of biscuits. And, oh, wow. you know, and yeah. And that's why I started you answer it. that so quick. I was like, Dang. yeah, but that, yeah. And that's, I think it started with biscuits. Um, I've made some croissants a few times and that's been super fun. And I'm like, uh, this, the goal is this year is to get the flour tortillas down. Whoa. Um, yeah. But again, it's like all of these things are just an attempt to also to get what I can't have in New York. Like no one is going to make a Southern biscuit in New York and maybe do it the way that I want it. Same with tortillas. Right. You go to Austin and every single taco truck has homemade tortillas. And here, I don't know a single place. Well, there might be a place, but there's no normal taco truck that is doing handmade tortillas here. Mm, yeah, that's true. It's hard. Uh, damn. Okay. Good one. Um, what is the last movie you saw? Uh, Licorice Pizza. And? Or no, that's no, damn, this, that's not true. This is way more embarrassing. The last movie I saw was Cowboys versus Cowboys and Aliens. Okay. So real talk, Cowboys uh-huh. and Aliens is a sleeper cult movie. And a lot of people mm. love that because it's, okay. you got, it's Harrison Ford mm-hmm. and Daniel Craig mm-hmm. dressed and, up. It, yeah. And Olivia Wilde. Oh my God. And Olivia Wilde. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. And the, so the, the funniest thing to me rewatching it, I saw it in theaters and uh, rewatched it. And Daniel Craig has his sleeves rolled up to his elbows the entire movie, no matter what shirt he's wearing. doesn't matter if it's a Henley or if it's like a dress shirt, his sleeves are always rolled up past his elbows. Even in like the opening scene where he like kills three people and then takes their clothes and he just rolls his sleeves up to the elbows no one in the entire movie does that except for Daniel Craig's character. And it's That's an so interesting, interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is a movie or book that when someone mentions you feel they understand you? Ooh. Um, it's just anything by Barry Lopez, but specifically Desert Notes um, is definitely a book where I'm like, wait, what's, you've read what's that? Desert? So Barry Lopez is a writer in uh, Oregon. And he's written, I mean, he writes amazing, amazing poetry, fiction, nonfiction. You can never really kind of tell what it is, which I think is part of the beauty of it. Um, And so Desert Notes is a collection of short stories about the desert. Um, And the entire time, it's really first person, but it's basically just stories about the desert. And they're fiction, but also are philosophical, also are poetry, um, also yeah you you can't really ever tell what is going on there you it's always like wait is this an autobiography is oh, this wow. a narrative is this fiction because there's parts of all of that and it's all in first person um and it's yeah I, and i think one of my favorite genres is like the unreliable narrator where it's like you can't tell if he's lying to you or not and you kind of have to figure that out um and he does that really well too and I've never even heard of that genre. He's, That's pretty cool. Yeah, he's a he's amazing, and he's he's very connected to stories of Americana and folk tales, and um, is very connected to Native American mythology. And he actually has a few books on um, in a couple of tribes. The Coyote is the trickster, and he has a couple of books on rewriting or maybe giving a more put down narrative to a lot of their mythology too. Um, and again, doing that, talking as the coyote and talking as these other animals, they're also gods, but also animals. Uh, yeah, he's really, really incredible. Uh, Peter, huge, huge, huge pleasure to chat with you. Yeah. Likewise, Jeremy. Yeah. Well, thank you again. This was a ton of fun. All right. I'll see you. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Later. Nice guy, right? Thanks so much for listening. Our show is produced by Blamo Media. We're edited by Mar Law, and our theme music by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you heard, or this show, this pod, anything, you know the drill. Share the pod with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, do the deals, follow us on Instagram for all the hot content. 
And if you want to talk to us and give us your hot take, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us or leave us a message and we'll put it in a future episode. Or email us at info at blamopod.com. If you want to hang and join the Blam fam, visit patreon.com forward slash blamo, where we have a ton of extra episodes with exclusive interviews and our amazing, incredible Slack community. All right, a couple episodes left. We'll see you soon.